Hello and welcome to episode 50 of A Sporting Discussion, your podcast that discusses sports of all sorts. It's a milestone, Andrew, episode 50. Raise the bat, AJ. We raise the bat, we casually adjust ourselves and we get ready to knuckle down and reset before we bat on and make it count. I, I wouldn't have a clue, I don't get that, I don't get that far very often. <laughs> this week, Andrew, we have a very special guest host at ASD Stadium again. It's exercise physiologist Ben Griffin of Bodyology, Bodyology Physical Performance Solutions. Pardon me. Ben will talk to us about what it takes to cut it as an elite athlete and will give us a realistic time frame for completing an Ironman as a 125 kilo athlete. Don't know who we're talking oh, hang about. Hang on, here. are we going to run a... I'm not doing that. Just let me get through Righto. the intro. After the Perth Wildcats went back-to-back winning NBL titles, we take a look at season 2016-17 and ask a few tough questions. Uh, you tell us your best fitness-related achievements, and there's a few doozies from the listeners out there. And as usual, there is much, much, much more. Now, don't forget to vote for us in the Castaway Awards. That's the Australian Podcasting Awards. There's three weeks left to vote for a sporting discussion. Go to castawayawards.com.au slash vote. We've doubled our target. We're currently on 24... How many behind the leader? We are a piddling 1,339 votes behind the leader and coming with a rush. <laughs> we'll get there. Yeah. I believe in us. It'll take a while. Thanks for voting. And remember, if we hit our secret target that we haven't told anyone about, we have a special surprise for listeners that we will reveal live during the recording of the show in the last week in March. Don't also forget that uh, this show relies on your input. Hit us on Twitter. We're at, at ASD underscore podcast or go to facebook.com slash a sporting discussion to make sure you have your say on the big sporting issues of the week. AJ, that's enough talking. Oh, he's a what? Yeah. Introduce our guest, Andrew. An Ironman triathlon is 3.86 kilometre swim, 180.25 kilometre cycle, 42.2 kilometre marathon. Is that all? Yeah. Ben Griffin's done 13 of these with a personal best of 9 hours and 15 minutes. He's a sub three hour marathon runner and he coached someone to do a double Ironman in February. (laughs) Ben, welcome to a sporting discussion. (laughs) It's a pleasure to be here, boys. Looking forward to it. What? Bit of an underachiever. <laughs> Jeez. Oh, I think it just. Uh, I think I need to get a different hobby when you say it out like that. <laughs> oh man! Now, Ben, you are an accredited exercise physiologist. You have a master's in exercise science from Edith Cowan, and you've been strength and conditioning coach at the Western Bulldogs, at the Box Hill Hawks, and at the Frankston Dolphins Football Club. Just to give a little bit of background, um, how have you found? All of that. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I was uh, I was lucky enough to um, sort of time my my run into most of those teams pretty well uh, at at the Western Bulldogs. Uh, my last three years there, we we played in three consecutive uh, prelim finals. Mm. Couldn't uh, get the job done to get into the grand final, and then going to Hawthorne's Reserves uh, had a pretty good run there. Um, played finals every year. My last two years there, we uh, won a premiership and lost the grand final. Uh, and then going to Frankston was a bit of a different story. I think we won two <laughs> games in two years, yeah. so I kind of got to experience both ends of the spectrum. Now, Frankston Football Club in the VFL here, for the folks listening outside of Melbourne, is no longer with us in the VFL form, I think. No, there was a, a big push when they eventually got booted to, to renege on that decision. I'm, I still think that Frankston hold out hope. Mm. I'm not 100% sure of the status of it all, but yeah, poor Frankston. 
Oh, well. Well, that's Ben, and we will be coming back throughout the show to have a chat with Ben and get his thoughts, particularly later on when we get to our uh, tough questions section. But on to confirmations and corrections, Andrew. AJ, I haven't plugged in the soundboard, so I can't play the banger. Well, that's all right, because we're proudly brought to you by Ultimate AFL Trivia. Search for them on Facebook, where you can get in contact if you want to run an AFL-themed trivia night at your club or event. Anywhere in Australia. That's correct. Remember, the season starts in a couple of weeks and you need to book Jono and the team very, very quickly because the AFL season is filling up fast. AJ, were you all clear last week? I'm all clear for 2017. Yeah, I know. I was all clear last week, so I'm on a, I'm on a, on a streak of one. All right. Enough chat. Let's get into it. Uh, Simon Carolyn has a movie for us this week, does he, after a couple of weeks off? Yes. Simon has decided that this week he watched... He Got Game from 1998, directed and written by New York Knicks fan and longtime sufferer Spike Lee. It stars Denzel Washington as an aging convicted felon who was released by the governor temporarily. He's released because the governor wants him to convince his son, who was the best high school basketball player in the country, to sign with the governor's college. The, the son is played by a very young Ray Allen. This isn't so much a traditional sports movie as it is more about the characters. That seems to be a bit of a theme with Simon's movie reviews. Mm. The dilemma for Ray Allen's character is that he doesn't know who to trust. Does he play college or go straight to the NBA? The relationship with his father is tough. Washington's character was in jail for accidentally killing his wife. The colleges tempt him with women and money. There are a few cameos of famous NBA players uh, and some famous coaches. Kobe Bryant was originally going to be the star of the movie, apparently. Oh. Simon enjoyed the movie and he gave it 3.5 stars. Well, that's good. Yeah. Anything to add? I've never seen it, but um, <laughs> on, the, on the front cover of the, the VHS, one of the quotes from a reviewer is, two thumbs up. Oh, there you go. Who are we to argue? Yeah. All right, let's get on with it. Ben, on Saturday night, AJ was live blogging the West Tigers South Sydney NRL match. I'm not sure if you were following along, but there was... A bit of a controversy the, that AJ constantly referred to uh, ridiculous. regarding Greg Inglis's knee. AJ, do you want to fill us in? All right, I'll give some very quick background. Uh, in the eighth minute, Inglis tried to tackle someone, uh, went left, his knee buckled under him. It was one of those bad ones where he hadn't even hit the ground yet and he was grabbing his knee and screaming in pain. Uh, the, That's not ideal. No, not ideal, but rugby league being rugby league, uh, he stayed out there and tried to run it off. Ah, oh, like what Matt, what, what Matt Renshaw should have done. Okay. Um, <laughs> it was obvious he was crocked. He could barely get above a jog. Uh, he did score a try right on half time. That was borderline comical. How uh, did he score a try if he was if he'd done his knee? And he was on his, he, yeah, anyway, it was a surprise kick and he basically jogged to the try line and <laughs> fell over on the ball. Oh, God. Um, now, it was obvious how badly he was hurt. And he was even signalling to the bench that he needed to come off on multiple occasions throughout the game. But the, he went off at half time and came back out. What? So they must have injected him or checked structures or anything. Who knows? Um, but the uh, reporting since has said that uh, the medical staff at South thought he couldn't do any further damage. 
which is good because it turned out he ruptured his anterior cruciate ligament. Ah. That's the front one. Um, but he now faces many, many, many months out, and if he's lucky, he'll play in the World Cup in November if he is lucky. Uh, now, Inglis has had really bad knee trouble for many years, uh, particularly in the last three or four years with his right knee. Uh, this injury is to his left, so his career could be in serious, serious trouble. I've got to say, AJ, it's pretty lucky that we have someone in here that has... A little bit more of a knowledge Funny how these of, topics pop up, yeah, of the uh, the human body right. the, than we do. So ben, ben, yeah. If someone does an ACL, let's just look at this in isolation. If someone does an ACL, can they then do any further damage? I, I, obviously, they shouldn't be out there because he couldn't run. But in terms of structural damage to his knee, could he have done more damage to himself? Uh, potentially. I mean, there's... When someone does an ACL, there's usually some secondary damage that goes along with it, and that can either be to the, the cartilage or the medial other ligaments in there as well. So without knowing exactly what's gone in, in the, on in his knee uh, with the initial injury, um, yeah, it, it's hard to know exactly. It, it seems a strange decision looking from the outside, but oh, again, you, <laughs> you don't know how they came to that conclusion. Yeah. Uh, fair enough if it's Joe Bloggs, I reckon, uh, but it's... <laughs> really? So, so rules for some, rules, rules for, for others? Some. Yeah, absolutely. If it, He's the elite player in that team who's you know, also the elite player for Queensland and Australia, and I would have thought if he's hurt and signalling to come off the bench, uh, come off the ground, then you hook him as fast as you can. They, well, he, didn't, he didn't actually come off until uh, there was less than 10 minutes to go in the game, and they were getting flogged all night. So and it was round one. round one. Eight minutes into oh. round one and they've gone, our most highly prized player, you're injured, but we will leave you out there. I've got a different view of it though. Okay. Fairly heroic to run out a game on an ACL, isn't it? <laughs> it's impressive. <laughs> uh, it seems like it seems very strange. Like I can, Sometimes they're hard to diagnose. So you can almost forgive them to say they, they may not have been sure if it's an ACL, but if they're saying that he's definitely done an ACL, so then still let him go out there seems mm. yeah, peculiar. I, my thought, my memories of ACLs are people writhing on the ground, you know, grabbing their knee in agony and being stretched off. And it wasn't until it was uh, Glenn Jakovich from the West Coast Eagles who did an ACL mm. and jogged off. Uh, pushing the trainers away as he did it. Um, and I thought, oh, well, he's okay. And then it turned out knee Rico and he was gone for the year. So it's what, how, how does an athlete uh, have that sort of uh, physical capability? Is it because the muscles around it are all built up? or? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So what it's typically, it's going to take away your stability. So people who just run in straight lines or cyclists, sometimes they can get away without ever actually repairing it. But in a, a dynamic sport like AFL or rugby league where you've got to change direction, you've got no chance of being able to, to continue to play at that level, pretty much any level, uh, if, you've got, if your ACL is completely ruptured. So uh, I think I remember the Bulldogs maybe a couple of years ago, Clay Smith may have done something similar, I reckon. Yep. Yeah. yeah, and he stayed out there. Yeah, he. Uh, yeah, basically, I think it was might have even been the second time that he had done his knee, and he's just gone, "Oh no, everything's all right, everything's all right." And then, yeah, it certainly wasn't. But it's, <laughs> so it's not a, um, a an uncommon thing for someone to go, "Oh no, I think I'm okay." And it's that change of direction. I remember in the 
the mid-90s, David Schwartz at Melbourne, mm-hmm. he had a spate of, of, of knee injuries. He did his knee and then he came back and he did it again and he came back and he did it again. And he was, he was one of a couple of people. And from, from what I understand and from what you were saying about the running in straight lines, the rehab at that time was nowhere near as advanced as it is now and they weren't really strengthening the... Um, like the outside movement, the sort of moving left and right. And so the players were like, yeah, I'm good as gold, you know, after the 10 months off. And then they get out on the, on the training track or they get out on the field. The first time they go to move, boom, gone. So, yeah. yeah, I mean, it's definitely in an area that we're much more advanced in than we were previously, but um, it's still a, it's a horrible injury for any athlete to get. Are you more susceptible to doing an ACL if you've done it before or is or does that sort of, you know, tighten things up? No, absolutely. If you've done one before, you're at a much higher risk than yep. someone who's never done one before. Yep. Okay. Oh, all right. Oh. I didn't think that. So... The, what do I know? I'm not doing any training or anything. No, no. <laughs> so Greg Inglis will be out for... A long time. It'll be the I wonder if Rugby be... League World Cups in November and they've Mal Meninga, the coach, has said he'll keep a spot open for him. But whether he gets there, who knows? He'll but struggle we... to get back by then, I would have thought. Yeah. <laughs> All right, it's time to get to know our special guest host a little bit better. Uh, ben... Tell us about some of the athletes you've worked with over the course of your career. Uh, yeah, so I guess initially at the Bulldogs, we were, I was, again, lucky enough to come into a pretty pretty special team. We had guys like, um, you know, Brad Johnson, Barry Hall, Jason Ackermanis. Uh, who else did we have there at the time? Ron uh, Smith would have been towards the end of his uh, career. He just finished up. Chris Grant was in his last year. Cooney and Griffin would Cooney have been and starting. Griffin, yeah. yeah. And uh, Callum Ward, who's now captain oh, yeah. of GWS in his first year. And, and the great man Brian Harris at the time, <laughs> yeah. Brian Lake. Love yes. him. He's a very different cat. But uh, Did, a, did a he guy. listen to you at training? I'm not sure he listened to anyone, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> he always did what was required. Maybe maybe nothing more, but he always did what was required. <laughs> um, what was it like looking after Adam Cooney? Because he started to have knee troubles towards the, around 2010, wasn't it? Mm. Yeah, so that that was actually my last year. So that mm. was yeah, just when he started to have those uh, initial problems. It, it actually happened in one of the finals where he got a little crack in his kneecap, and um, yeah, it's obviously caused him a fair bit of grief um, over the year. Probably took away a little bit of his his explosiveness. Yep. Um, but it, it's a credit to him that he was still able to to push on and and have such a, a long career after such a significant injury as well. Yeah. And, and I guess that leads us to, to one of the questions that we want to ask you. Like, is it possible to train yourself away from injury? Like, every, injuries are going to happen, but can you train yourself away from the risk of doing a hammy or a calf? And also, can you train yourself away from the risk of reoccurring injuries? Yeah, it's a good question. You can certainly uh, do some work on your body to, to make you stronger and less chance of an injury. You can't train yourself away from an injury in the sense of like a trauma injury if uh, someone runs through you and you do your knee or something like that. But you can certainly do what we call prehab. Um, so that's kind of <laughs> what you do. You're that's what to... I was doing wrong. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you're trying to do that essentially to lessen the chance of getting in, an injury in the future. Yep. 
Okay. And, and I know um, I'm a, as a Hawthorne supporter, I noticed a couple of years ago that the players had slimmed down quite a bit and they talk about every year after 30, they want their playing weight to come down by one kilo each year. So I wonder if that's uh, a thing about their body uh, and the body getting older or if it's the impact of the, the change of the game style. Yeah, it's probably a little bit of both. I, I certainly think uh, with the cap on rotations, it's certainly forced players to become a little bit more endurance focused. So the shift's mm-hmm. probably pushed back to a little bit of that old school training methodology because um, guys need to be able to run out the game a little bit more as well. But again, if you're a little bit lighter, it probably puts a little bit less stress on your lower body too. So um, one thing I've always been conscious of when you're working with someone who's done an ACL, usually initially the only thing they can do is upper body weights. Yep. Uh, so the... Uh, the the issue is there is guys come back very top heavy because all they've done is upper body weights and yet yep. their their legs are wasted away. So mm. yeah, it causes it can cause some issues down the track. And I guess talking about lower body injuries, we've seen in the AFLW that there has been. Would you call it a spate, AJ? It's an epidemic, Andrew. The one thing the press won't tell you about AFLW. <laughs> um, I believe what are we four rounds in? Five, five, uh, seven women have had. Uh, season slash career ending uh, ACL, PCL uh, injuries mm. require, re- requiring reconstructive surgery. And I read, uh, well, I didn't read the whole report, otherwise I'd be able to tell you exactly why, but I did <laughs> read something that women are more prone to doing an ACL than men. Have you heard anything about that, Ben? Yeah, there's certainly, certainly some research to suggest that women are more susceptible to doing ACL injuries compared to men. Mm. Um, do you think it's because they've, it's like elite level training that they're at now or something like that? Is it just kind of overload you were talking about there? Uh, it's, it's hard to know. Look, to, to mm. be honest, I haven't seen the mechanisms for any of the injuries, so I don't know whether... Oh, yeah, it could yeah. have been bumped into, could have been, yeah. Yeah, so there's a whole, whole host of different ways it could have occurred. Um, for me, it's probably too early to, to start making too many... Yeah, conclusions about mm. it, but it's certainly enough to be a bit of a red flag and to keep an eye on yeah. in the future. Well, you heard it here first. AFLW is in crisis. <laughs> <laughs> the the <laughs> AFL finals were. This is in... a big. This is a big thing of ours. Uh, this next question. Yeah, the AFL finals were in crisis last year mm. when, in their infinite wisdom, the league put a buy at the end of the home and away season, ostensibly to stop mass resting of players like we had seen Ross Lyon do at Fremantle and uh, Brad Scott do at North Melbourne where they rested you know, 15 of their starting 22 to get them ready for finals. So last season there was a week off and the Western Bulldogs benefited from mm. that immensely because there were three players, I think it was Tom Libertore, Jackson McRae and someone else who would not have played if the the, final, the first final was a week before, that led, leads us to think that it's a good that thing week to off, have a week off. If they don't have that week off, they don't win the flag and they're out in week one. It's that easy to say it. Plus, it, 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 yeah. after the uh, first week of the finals, the teams that won in round one of the finals, I think Essendon and GWS, Essendon, <laughs> Geelong, Geelong and GWS, Essendon weren't doing much in September <laughs> no. last year, um, both won their finals and had a week off and then came back into the prelim finals against Sydney and the Bulldogs, respectively, and both got beat. So, mm. Ben, this is our roundabout question to ask. Would you want a bye week, or would you want your athletes to keep going through? 
look, it's it's a tough question to answer. I think whatever the AFL decide, and whichever way they go, the clubs are going to exploit it to their own benefit. So it was it was purely it was no doubt good luck for the Western Bulldogs at that time, and just happened to be for them. Mm-hmm. But next year it might be that shoe might be on the opposite foot that the team they're coming up against might be in a similar situation. Uh, what you raised earlier would be certainly a bigger challenge for teams and coaches to prepare for if, if you finish in the top four and win that first final to not have that continuity of playing is certainly a, a tougher thing to manage so that would be a bigger mm. concern for me well and and interestingly prior to last season where the two teams that won that final lost prior to that almost all i think with the exception of maybe one or two teams that won it was up around week, 90 90 or something like that yeah so yeah. if you had the week off they won the preliminary final after their week off, which, yeah, it's, it goes against... How do, you, the, how do you condition a team in that week yeah. off? Can uh, you? Yeah, it's, it, de- it depends on a, on a number of things. So I think last year it was a little bit of an anomaly too because the, the top seven were probably so evenly. So any of those teams, the Western Bulldogs, even though I think they finished seventh, they could have easily... One more game. So I think mm. the, the congestion was a lot tighter at the top, so there wasn't a, as clear a definition maybe as other years. But it depends on how you've managed uh, your playing group throughout the year. So if you've been consistently in the top four and know you're going to finish that, you might try and load the players up a little bit um, and then have a bit more recovery in there. So it kind of dictates what you've had to do for those last few rounds and if you've had to sort of keep your foot on the throat and keep working hard to secure that top spot. Mm. And related to that, there's always talk about, you know, a club maybe having a poor performance in, you know, say round 16 and people go, oh, they're in a heavy training block. Is that a thing? <laughs> is that, does that actually exist or is that marketing speak for just wait a week and hopefully we win next week and we don't have to worry about uh, you know, the, yeah, the, the negative complaints about our playing style? Oh, it certainly is a thing. Um... How much you attribute to, to wins and losses? I, I always find it fascinating as a fitness coach how much is attributed, how much credit you get when your team wins and, and how much credit you, 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 you don't get or how much bad press you get when your team loses. So yep. uh, if you lose the fourth quarter, you're unfit, even though you might have had 10 more scoring shots, you just didn't kick straight. So, yeah, I, I try not to get carried away with too much good press and try not to let too much bad press <laughs> stick with me. <laughs> All right, well, let's take it away from the team sports and uh, into your bread and butter, which is the elite individual training. Um, everyone has a – they look in the mirror and they go, you know what, I need to do something with my life. Or they sit down and they're watching the Kona Iron Man or something like that and they go, you know what, that doesn't look that hard. <laughs> um, I know, I've done that. Um, <laughs> how much preparation, realistically, should someone do? Say, say uh, Andrew and I – uh, were sufficiently motivated to complete an Iron Man, and through the wonders of podcast, you can't see us, listeners, but Ben can. When, uh, look, we're not in we're not in peak physical. We're not fitness. in peak physical <laughs> condition. No. How long do you think you'd need to train us for? Uh, if you're committed and, and willing to to put the hours in, oh, I'd say twelve months. If your goal is just to finish, twelve months is a realistic time frame. Um, depending on what sort of background you come from, like if you've if you've been a swimmer or a cyclist or a runner, is a when you're younger, you know, you might be able to get it done a little bit quicker. Uh, but 12 months is usually the starting point, I say, to most people. And what would your starting point be? Is it really slow slow baby stuff, so to speak? Or do you 
would you flog us from the beginning and <laughs> see if we make it? Uh, look, <laughs> the temptation for me is always to try and flog people. I like the old school approach. Uh, but you need to be mindful of uh, injuries and everything like that. So, mm. look, one of the biggest barriers I've found with a lot of people I've coached uh, that come from, you know, a beginners is, is probably the swimming uh, is probably mm. the biggest hurdle, even though it's the shortest period of it. Most people lack that confidence to, to either swim in the pool or the ocean, uh, which seems... Uh, a bit strange when we're, mm. we're in Australia and we're surrounded by the ocean, but uh, yeah, it's uh, it's funny that that often seems the biggest hurdle for people. I'm a horrible swimmer, so I might oh, need more than 12 you months. You can't swim with floaties on. True, true. <laughs> I actually, when I say I'm a horrible swimmer, I don't think I could use the term swimmer. I'm horrible in the water. Three point eight k's of dog paddling. That's probably nine hours, twenty five minutes right there. I think. Um, you say twelve months, but how many hours is involved in those twelve months? Yeah. What would what would our what would a day in the life of our twelve month long Ironman triathlon training look like? Look, it's a big commitment, and uh, often you have to say, you know, goodbye to your your partners and your your family to say we're not really going to see much of each other over the next twelve months. But <laughs> do, do I do I have to say good? <clears throat> excuse me. Do I have to say goodbye to the pub as well? <laughs> <laughs> I might have to buy a bike. Yeah. <laughs> I'll borrow one. Maybe just uh, maybe not a goodbye. Maybe I'll just see you a little bit later. Okay. <laughs> uh, look, it probably it's going to start from you know what your body can tolerate initially. It might be starting with five hours a week. In your biggest week, you're probably going to be up around that twenty hour mark of training. Which, if you work it out per day, that's two to three hours of exercise every day, which is a massive commitment. Mm. Yeah, I don't know. Doesn't sound like that much. <laughs> Does to me, but you know, you're, you're the you're the one that's uh, that's actually done some of these things. I got goals. So. Don't worry. Uh, um, so people that you train, let's go back to you know we we said that you train someone to do a double Ironman. What's in? Obviously, that person was already fit enough to do an Ironman on their off their own steam. But then, sorry, sorry, this is just. Double Iron Man, freaking incredible! Oh, it's outrageous! Just had to get that on the record. Yeah. <laughs> what What was the the hardest thing with that? Was it the training to get the miles in the legs? Was it the mental side of things, or was it injury prevention? Yeah, it's it's all of those things. So to give you a little bit of background on the on the guy who has who did this, uh, and it was only a few weeks ago. He initially came to me to coach him when he had done just his first half Ironman mm-hmm. and uh, he virtually came dead last, I think, and he was, it was a long way off it. He didn't, he didn't come from any athletic background or, you know, he's certainly not a naturally, and I hope he doesn't mind me saying this, he's not a naturally gifted athlete. <laughs> okay. Uh, no, that, that's, we're, we're familiar with that. <laughs> um, but what he, what he is, is he's super mentally resilient and he just, he, he'll never uh, sort of give in. Mm-hmm. So... He's done a couple of Ironmans. He's done uh, a couple of Ultraman races, which is uh, – that's a three-day event. We Day one, you swim 10Ks and you ride 150. Day two, you do 270K ride. And day three is a double marathon at an 84K run. So Freaking hell. Yeah. So he's a, uh, he's a rare specimen. Um, wow. So he's, so he's certainly he, – these days now, he's certainly – he's got a lot of miles in the legs. Mm-hmm. So for me, the biggest barrier was probably uh, keeping not not get, having the training be stale for him. So I was giving him, uh, you know, days he'd have three runs. So he'd have to get up, you know, four a.m. and do a run. Then he'd run in his lunch break, and then he'd get home and run at night. So yeah, it was just trying to trying to I guess window dress some of the training sessions and things like that. So he, it was always a little bit new and fresh for him. And I guess how do you then 
deal with boredom's not the right word, but the mental side of the race. I it how long how long did it take him to do it? Approx. It was about thirty hours. So thirty hours of constant moving exercise. Mm. Has he got? Headphones in? Does he have mantras that he was saying to himself? Does he try to just zone out? So what he's got, he he had an amazing support team with him. So his wife and some other close friends and family. That basically he started the run in St Kilda at about seven o'clock at night, and he ran mm-hmm. he ran all through the night up to Port Melbourne down to Morty Alec. Um, wow. So he was always had friends and family with him. Yep. Uh, the other thing, he, he was doing it as a fundraiser uh, for cancer. So he, he lost his mum when he was quite young. So I think when you've got something like that driving you, you're not going to let anything get in your way. I think if you just woke up and decided to do it, you'd probably give up because it gets too hard. But when you've yep. got that internal thing that's really you know special and means something to you, I think that can, can really provide a lot of motivation to, to just continue to push through. Well... Let's talk about you then. What gets you through an Ironman? Just tr- trying to beat the latest time and uh, the marathon, I guess. Yeah, look, there's a, there's a couple of different things. Like I, I came from very much a team sport background and I was, I, I was very competitive. I just wanted to, to win everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I probably, you know, got through uni and probably lost a little bit of that uh, sporting stuff and probably started focusing on going out a little bit more and then <laughs> decided I wanted to get back into sport. And um, even though I, I enjoyed going out and that, I, I'd get frustrated at my teammates that if they weren't as motivated to, to win as me. So I thought, oh, what's a sport where I can sort of dictate how I go, win or lose? And uh, triathlon was always something that appealed to me. I, I used to watch it on TV and thought, you know, they're the... They're the fittest athletes going around. I wouldn't mind having having a go at that. Yeah, yeah. you can see Trevor Hendy on a, a Saturday morning on. Was and it? what's his name? Brad Bevan, the Croc. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He never touched a weight in his life. I heard. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> Did you see one in the clock back there. Remembering him? That's, that's impressive. Who was it? Greg Welsh. <laughs> Greg Welsh. Oh, that's pretty yeah. much it, as far as I know. For uh, oh, Emma Carney, that's about it. Yep. I think my knowledge of triathlon stops in the mid-90s. <laughs> I, I want to ask about, I guess, recovery after it, but I'll do that in by, ask, by sort of relaying a bit of a, a story about something that's happening at the moment. John Mergler and Debbie Hazelden are in the midst of, respectively, attempting to complete 100 iron distance triathlons and 100 half iron triathlons in 100 days. So basically Debbie swims 1.9k, rides 90k and runs 21.1. John does double that and they do that every day for 100 consecutive days. Now their bodies would just be knackered at, like after a few of those. Surely that's not sustainable. Oh, yeah, is, is Why am I asking you, Ben? Yeah. <laughs> is something like that sustainable for the human body? Uh, so, short answer is no. I, I'm pretty sure that the guy doing it has aborted that. I, I oh, really? I, I'm pretty sure he's been unable to continue with it. Um, there was a guy in America last year who's called the Iron Cowboy, and he did 50 <laughs> continuous Ironmans in 50 states every day. Yes. Uh, and I, I never say nothing is impossible, but when mm. he announced he was going to do that, I thought... It was not able to be done. Yeah. Um, and I've seen him interviewed and I think he's, he's again, a very rare human and I don't think there's very many people who'd be able to, to do more than that. Um, I think anything beyond that's impossible and, and when 
uh, not to, to shoot anyone down or say it can't be done, but when I heard about this guy trying to do 100 in 100 days, mm. uh, from a physical standpoint, I don't think it can be done. All right, well, let's go to a normal person just doing <laughs> one in one day. What's the recovery process after that? Because you're putting your body through a fair bit. Yeah, it really depends on your training background. So uh, for my very first one, I reckon it took me the best pun- best part of six months to get over. Oh, wow, uh, yeah. wow. But like I was back training, you know, a few weeks, but I just had no no energy, no enthusiasm. Whereas these days I feel like I recover much quicker. And some of the professionals, there's been... Some of the pros in recent years have done two in two weeks. They'll, they'll race one one weekend and travel to another country and race another one and, and you mm. know, knock out some killer time. So, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of factors that will influence your recovery. And if someone does that, uh, say someone goes back-to-back in the official competition-style Ironman, is that just their body kind of them making the most of their body at its peak? Potentially, yeah. So... Uh, if you're in good shape and, you, you know, you, you need to, whether it's sponsor commitments or you want to try and cash in with some prize money, yeah, if, yeah. You, if you're feeling good and you feel like you've recovered well, you know, they, they might as well have a crack because, you know, if things aren't working out, I guess they can always pull out and try again later on. Yeah. yeah. Well, Pat Farmer, the oh, yeah. former... Former parliamentary, parliamentary secretary for something, something, something. Yeah, where... Ultramarathon runner. He, yeah, he's an ultramarathon runner and he would run around Australia and like was, was raising funds in some instances but other times it would just be the the local um, local town, they'd all just come out and like cheer him on and everything. He just shuffles along, shuffles along... What is an ultra marathon, and is it stupid? <laughs> <laughs> so technically, an ultra marathon is any distance that's beyond a traditional marathon. So the the most popular distances are sort of fifty k's, hundred k's, mm. and a hundred miles. Okay, yeah. The, oh, the Canberra, you can't really call the that Canberra, ultra. Canberra marathon had a fifty k uh, ultra marathon part to it. Okay, where you ran through the finish line. Well. I watched the, people the, run through did. the finish line, and um, I saw I saw a guy at a drink station who was jumping up and down at his at the breaks, uh, and he was one of the ultra marathoners. So, what would that have been all about? Just just his own his own trip, or yeah? Look, there's some kooky people who do these events, so I've got no <laughs> idea from a, from a physiological standpoint what that would have been. I was looking at him, going, "Wow, he must be. Should I be doing that?" I wanted... no, I, <laughs> from from my extremely limited experience, I think it's a theory that some people have about lactic acid, um, and it. Clearly, if, if Ben just sort of goes, I don't know why he's doing it, I think it, it is an it. individual theory. <laughs> now, preparation for uh, an Ironman, how many days leading up to the event do you either taper off or like you're training or just start to actually get yourself ready physically and mentally? Yeah, look, from about 14 days, you probably start shutting it down a little bit. So you still try and maintain... Uh, your training rhythm, uh, but you're probably going to be backing off the intensity maybe a little bit, but certainly the volume and duration of your sessions cuts down a lot over those last 14 days because you're just trying to uh, maintain your fitness but trying to get rid of all that residual fatigue that's built up over the weeks of hard training. And is there anything mentally that you do? Uh, Yeah, everyone's got their own different preparations. I, I like to probably do a bit of visualisation and try and picture everything going well. Not that it, that rarely ever happens. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, everyone's got their own different uh, methods of dealing with that, I guess, and trying to um, get rid of the anxiety leading into it. 
AJ, the NBL season has just finished with the Perth Wildcats securing their eighth championship in yep. their 31st consecutive finals series. Now, beat, that is a record. That is a record. 31 straight final series. They beat the Illawarra Hawks 3-0. They were actually on the – I think they were on the bottom of the ladder in December, the um, the Wildcats, and they got rid of their import and bought a new import in. Everything turned around and they they didn't lose a game in the final series. Absolutely dominated. Mm. But They got a bit of luck, though, because Illawarra knocked out Adelaide, who were the top side, who finished top. It was uh, one okay. of those – one of those seasons where, like we said with the AFL season last year, it finished really close at the top. Anyone could have made the finals. And was that because everyone was really good and it was a tight contest or was it just because no one was really good? Well, I'm not a huge basketball fan, but I watched a few NBL games. Well, and give, it, give it to us then. What, what's your take on NBL's season 16-17? The standard of play was horrible. Like... Elaborate. Well, you could you could sit there and um, and watch these you know professional basketballers who've been playing the game for twenty five years, thirty years. No, no, but (laughs) they would go up and down the court, shoot, miss, go down the other, shoot, miss, shoot, miss. It was just poor, poor basketball. And (laughs) look, maybe my exposure to it is watching. The, the NBA yeah. and I shouldn't be comparing it so to So you're that. one of these sports knobs we keep talking about. Oh, no, I'm certainly not a sports knob. I don't really watch basketball at well, all. that's true. Yeah, I'll pay that. But Ben, do you ever, do you ever look at much NBL this season? Uh, not really. Like, like I said uh, to you guys off air, I'm more of a uh, college basketball fan. Yeah. College basketball's good fun. Well, college sport in general in America seems to just be insane with the crowds. Yeah. Um, but, now, speaking of crowds, NBL crowds were pretty good. Um, there was a, a lot of sell, sellouts, excuse me, especially at High Sense Arena here in Melbourne, but also in Sydney mm-hmm. um, and up in Brisbane where the Bullets were. But the Bullets petered out and finished last. Um, in their first year back? They were broadcast on Foxtel uh, with the NBL covering a lot of money to cover the production costs. And we spoke to uh, Sally Phillips last week, head of the WNBL, about just what it costs to broadcast a game on television and it's upwards of 40 grand. Yeah, just for one game. Just for one game. Um, the ratings on Foxtel were putrid, um, lower than the A-League and we've made many jokes here about how poorly the A-League rates on yep. uh, Foxtel and the NBL was worse by about maybe half. And it, it just hasn't captured the imagination like it did in the the early to mid-90s where on Channel 10 on a Sunday morning, you'd watch Bill Woods and oh, Steve you, Carfino. You live in your early, early 90s basketball. Damn right, Tim I do. Tim Bailey and Steve Quartermain and Steve Carfino and all that. Um, from, a, from a PR and a sponsorship point of view, everything looked good. And we spoke to Andy Crook pre-season uh, about the steps the league was taking to uh, be financially secure, I guess. Um, but st- they still need a lot of money uh, put in from the league's owner, Larry Kesselman. Um, and Kesselman and the NBL CEO, Jeremy Loliger, have been upfront about the big plans for the league, mainly involving China. Um, a lot of Australian sporting leagues seem to be looking over to China with uh, coveting eyes. Mm. I would say that there needs to be something done. We've talked about this with a lot of sports to get people to watch it. Now, Ben, you said that you watch 
the American college basketball. Do you watch NBA much? Yeah, I certainly I'll watch a little bit of the NBA as well, and the Portland Trailblazers are my team, so I'll try and get around them when they're on. <laughs> and what would need to happen for you to then start watching the NBL in the, in the coming seasons? Uh, it's probably just the product, I guess. Like, you talk about the 90s. I mean, I grew up watching that as well with, you know, Gaze and Smythe and all those guys <laughs> running around. Um, yeah, so I guess it's it, it probably needs to... Uh, be a little bit of a better product for me to, to engage with it a bit more. Yep. AJ, yeah. uh, I, we talked to Sally last week about, um, you know, getting into the the media and getting into the papers. Yeah, I don't think that's a problem for the NBL. Yeah. NBL gets a fair bit of coverage um, in the papers and particularly on Fox Sports because it's broadcast on Fox Sports. Mm. Um, there's also coverage on the your local news bulletins as well. I, I That... That makes me think of something that I've been ruminating on the last couple Ooh. of weeks. We often, because we have Foxtel, we often say, oh, you can watch it on TV. Mm. Not many people actually have access to... Like, they don't have Foxtel in their home. It's not as something prevalent like as I think it is. Foxtel take up, and ooh, this may be my first error for 2017, but no, I you can think, say approximately. I think it is, it's under a third of the population. And it's dropping. Well, well and truly under a third of the population are connected to Foxtel. So when we say, uh, oh, well, you can watch the test against India right now, three quarters of the country can't because they don't have Foxtel. Yeah, so... so and the, NBL, gonna, the NBL is pouring in a lot of money to be broadcast on that on that uh, outlet. Yeah, so I'm going to have to recalibrate my, my thoughts on, on people's viewing habits from, mm. from now on. Well, do you know what we should do? We've been fairly negative about the NBL here. Why don't we put this out to the people? Mm. At ASD underscore podcast on Twitter, facebook.com slash a sporting discussion. We'll ask the question uh, so you don't have to jump on this instant when you're on the train listening to the podcast. Everything's all right. There'll be a notification. (laughs) Is the NBL any good? What does it have to do to get your attention? Or what does it have to do to keep your attention? So I've seen on uh, Twitter you've been asking around for people's uh, greatest sporting achievements. Maybe you guys could talk me through uh, what you guys have done. I'm glad, Ben, that you said sporting-related achievements instead of fitness-related achievements like AJ <laughs> wants to talk about because... Give I'm, us a fitness one. I'm not a runner. Give us a fitness one. I'm not a cycler. So I'm going to go with my sporting one. I've taken three <laughs> hat-tricks in cricket. Three hat-tricks. Three hat-tricks. A hat-trick of hat-tricks. Not in the one game. So, there you go. That's my uh, my crowning moment. AJ, you're going to give us a fitness one. Uh, a fitness one. It's going to blow me out of the water. A long, long, long time ago, I ran, I've ran. i run a couple of half marathons. And mine pretty are good. really slow because I'm a really slow runner. That's so all right. My fastest one was two hours and 19 minutes. That's pretty good. I was... Doked. Yeah, we were on the cans the night before. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, see, if we go injuries, I, I I once bowled twenty two overs in a row in forty two degree heat. It doesn't sort of add up to Everyone's I run a half marathon. Ben, from your extensive portfolio of <laughs> fitness related achievements, what's your favourite? Uh, out of your two? No, 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 yours. <laughs> yours. <laughs> uh, Hat tricks are pretty impressive, though. Uh, 
So what's my favourite? What's I'll, your What's the favourite that you've done? That you've done? Uh, uh, it probably it would be one of the Ironmans. Um, uh, over in Canada, I think it's probably the toughest one I've done. Uh, there's a lot of lot of big hills over there in Canada, which we don't <laughs> seem to have here. Uh, I should have known when we were at Whistler, which is a ski resort, that it oh. would, have been, would have involved a few Who hills. Who does an Ironman at Whistler? Yeah, well, I well, should have you, done more research. Yeah. Who organises it? <laughs> Actually, now that you mentioned, have you done the call and get a gold? No, it is. I've just recently put together 10 races I do want to do yeah. uh, for different sort of sports, and that's on there. I'd love to – I've never paddled uh, in terms of a surf scare or anything, so I imagine I'd be horrendous at it, but yep. uh, I'd love to have a crack at it. Excellent. <laughs> AJ, what about on the social media? We, we did get some listener feedback from the social media. This uh, Le Watteau, uh, he or she – oh, no, said he – so there you go. So hey, we finally found out who oh, Tigre Watto is. That's right. good. Uh, said he had a night watchman scheduled in ahead of him and that once Imran Khan ruffled his hair and that these items were unrelated. Fair enough. <laughs> you know, that's, a, that's a big moment in your cricketing career when, the, when the captain says, no, you take the pads off. Barry, <laughs> chuck them on. Barry, go out there and please do not mess this up. Anyone else? Uh, Chris Meister. 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 Like you, completed my second half marathon in under two hours on the mighty MCG. An absolute thrill. Bloody hell. That's under two hours? Yeah. That's not bad, but that's – two hours is kind of the unofficial uh, goal for a half marathon runner, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, I think if anyone can do it in under two hours, I mean, you, you've, done some, you've done some pretty solid training to be able to knock it out in under two hours. Mm. And uh, – there's, 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 there's one, one more. This is more in my, in, in my realm of sporting yeah. and fitness achievements. Ben, do you want to read this one out? Uh, Jeff Sparrow managed to open a beer bottle with his teeth. <laughs> <laughs> that's not to be laughed at because that's <laughs> that bloody. Yeah. I can't do that, can you? No, no. I, 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 I went... bet Jeff only did it once. Well, I went back to Jeff to seek more information to see whether it was a, a twist top or a, or a pop top. <laughs> um, it was a long time ago and driven by desperation. <laughs> <laughs> AJ, I think that we should play a little noise that signifies. Let's do it. It's time to wrap this up. The fast few. Get into the fast few. Go. WNBL Grand Final Series is on this weekend. It's the Dandenong Rangers versus the Sydney Uni Flames. That's 1v2 on the ladder. Sydney finished top. It's a three-game series. Game one is this Saturday, March the 11th in Sydney. Then they come back on the 17th to Melbourne. And then they go on the 19th back to Sydney if it is required. Uh, Sydney would go in warm favourites seeing as they finished clear on top of the table. Uh, We will cover that when the result comes to it in the end. Next. The Australian cricket team were looking excellently placed to get a second victory over India and now they've collapsed and they're seven for 110. We know the perils... Make that eight. The perils of live podcasting. (laughs) I was just about to say, we know the perils of giving live updates on a podcast. They are now eight for 110 (laughs) and I would wager that they might not win this one unless Peter Hanscom does something special. We will elaborate on that next week. Uh, and my uh, note for the week was uh, Mick Fanning making his announcement that he's going to come back on tour next year. So him and Kelly Slater going for the world title with a couple of young guns in John John Florence and Gabriel Medina should be exciting. That'll do us. That'll be good. Actually, Bells is coming too. So that'll be... Uh, Bells is about a month away. 
You can chuck your, your board on the top of your... Uh, I'm due. You're Sandman, well, that's head it. down. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that is it for episode 50 of A Sporting Discussion. Remember, that if there's anything you would like us to talk about or if you want to take us to task about anything we've discussed in this week's show, talking to you NBL fans, get oh, in yeah, contact come with at us. Me. We're on Twitter at ASD underscore podcast. Go to facebook.com slash A Sporting Discussion. Tweets and comments are signed off with either AJ for me or AD for him so you know who's taking you down. Tell your friends to subscribe to a sporting discussion on whatever podcast service they use. We're on all of them. If we're not, let us know. Uh, we recommend you listen via Wooshka, either uh, on the mobile or on their desktop site, wooshka.com.au. Uh, that's for the Sneaky Listen at work. Make sure if you listen on iTunes, you leave us a review. Ego maniacs like Virat Kohli. That's why we want a review. Um, you can also get on to Ben and use his expertise by heading to www.bodyologyppps.com.au or just search Bodyology PPS on Facebook. We'll, ben, we'll include sort of, a link to that in the show notes for the podcast as well. Ben, what sort of services can people go to you for? A whole host of things. So uh, we've got an altitude chamber. We do uh, bod pod body composition testing, VO2 testing, uh, strength and conditioning, personal training. So anything fitness related, we pretty much cover. Excellent. And now you've got a podcast coming out. Uh, in the near future as well, which is unnamed as such. Uh, what's what's the plan for that? Yeah, so basically just going to be talking to uh, elite level athletes and coaches um, about their training methodologies and, and touching on some of the things we talked about today as well. AJ, are you going to write something scathing about the medical staff at the... South Sydney Rabbitohs in your NRL wrap this week? Nope, this week I'm going to Canberra for the Canberra Sporting Festival 2017. Uh, Brumbies versus Force Friday night. I might need a few drinks to get through that one. (laughs) And uh, Raiders v Sharks on Saturday night, which is going to be a doozy. What are you doing, Andrew, the usual? Yes, uh, Triple R on Monday morning, 7.15am with the Breakfasters talking all things... AFLW Football related And trying to sneak in Some some other sports (laughs) Uh, White Line Wireless I was going to be calling Day 5 Of the Australia versus India Test match Well you're not doing that I don't think I will be doing that Uh, 16th of March The next test Kicks off And I will be back In the commentary chair For that That'll do us. That's episode 50 in the books. Thanks, Ben, for joining us. Hope you've enjoyed yourself. Certainly have. Pleasure, pleasure to be here. Thank you, Andrew. Congratulations. Th- thanks. I've raised the bat. I've, I've scratched my centre mark again. And... All right, all right, all right. That'll do. See you next week.